Let's turn in God's Word this morning to the Gospel according to Mark. And uh, we're going to be reading from chapter 10, but I'd ask you to turn simply to chapter 1 to begin. Mark chapter 1. And let's first of all offer a few notes of introduction to the Gospel of Mark. We are uh, beginning that as a new series, uh, taking us through the 16 chapters that Mark has for us. A couple of things. One, as we think about this in the beginning, it's always good to identify the author. Well, the answer to that is we do not know precisely because the author does not identify himself. There's nowhere in the gospel itself where we have the authorship of the book given to us. Church tradition has long held to the fact that the author of this book was a man by the name of John Mark. And we have uh, early church fathers already in the, the 100 ADs, shortly then uh, after uh, the conclusion of the New Testament, who were already at that time giving the authorship to John Mark. Some of them perhaps uh, were individuals who actually knew uh, John Mark as well as Peter and the other, uh, some of the other apostles as well. So by church tradition, we say it's John Mark, although the exact author uh, really does not matter in this particular point. If it was John Mark, uh, it's interesting of that because John Mark is the young man who had a very shaky start. He's uh, the young man who goes with uh, Paul and Barnabas on that very first missionary journey, but quits. Leads to that dispute later when Barnabas wants to take John Mark on another journey and Paul says no. And they split up and the gospel efforts then by God's providence were doubled. By the end of his life, however, uh, that relationship with Paul had been restored. Paul even comments on, on the good work and faithfulness of John Mark and the fact that uh, he was needed and necessary. Paul even asked uh, um, Timothy to send him uh, to him because uh, he is so needed and necessary. So a relationship that at one time seemed to have soured, certainly by the end of Scripture, seems to have been restored. He, uh, if this is John Mark, uh, we know from uh, the book of Peter that Peter and he had a very close relationship, just as uh, Paul calls Timothy his son in the Lord, so does Peter call John Mark his son in the Lord. Some believe what we have before us is actually uh, Peter's uh, recollections through the Spirit of that which... Uh, happened in the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. Whether that aspect is true or not, we, again, don't know for sure. The date of the writing is a little easier to pin down, actually, because of uh, when it first emerges within the church, and it appears to be about 60 A.D. And what makes that unique is that this is the first of the gospel accounts that are written. So when this book is written, there is no gospel of Matthew yet. That has not been written. 
There is no gospel according to Luke. That has not appeared, nor the gospel according to John. So this is the first book to appear in as far as a gospel about the life of Jesus is concerned. Perhaps the concern was, as the apostles are dying off, the, the recollection of that which actually took place from eyewitnesses is soon going to disappear. And so before all of those apostles are gone and there are no more eyewitnesses accounts, uh, efforts were made uh, to record that which was recalled. And of course then what is placed here is given to us by inspiration of the Spirit in their recollections. There are a couple of uniquenesses about this book. It is, one, the shortest of the four Gospels by far. The second uniqueness is it's a Gospel of action. If you take a look, and this is why I had you to turn to chapter 1, probably most of your Bibles are divided into headings. So note, in chapter 1, there are nine different headings. There are nine things that happen just in chapter 1. And the, one of the favorite words that is used in this gospel is the Greek word for what we would say is immediately. It is fast. It is fast-paced. Things are coming at us quickly. That's one of the reasons why a lot of people believe that it was Peter's account because that pretty much fits Peter's personality. Quick, fast, quick, fast. Um, and, and that's the way the gospel of Mark comes to us in that rapid, fast. It's filled with action. But the action has a purpose. And it's to point us to Jesus Christ as the servant. It's all about Jesus serving in his capacity as the sovereign king. So those are our points of introduction uh, as we begin. Now, let's go to Mark chapter 10. And you might say, well, why are we going to chapter 10 rather than starting at chapter 1? Because I want to present to you this morning the central theme of the book. And that occurs for us in the 10th chapter of the gospel. And, and this is the centrality. This, this is what the whole gospel is about. It is to show us the truth of what we are about to read. So I invite you to go to Mark chapter 10. And we're going to pick it up at verse 32. Mark 10 verse 32. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days he will rise. And James and John, 
the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. And Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? They said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. Jesus called them to him and said, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's bow in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this, your word. For we read that even the disciples, the apostles, they, they had difficulties among themselves. Yet, if they listened to Jesus' word, and if we follow Jesus' word, we may obey you and live in harmony with each other. And Lord, bless Pastor Bob as he preaches this sermon. And may we hear your words, that we may have joy in this life if we follow Jesus' words and seek him in all that we do. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we've done the introduction, point one. Secondly then, let's look at this central theme of the book. This theme begins with that request of the disciples. Jesus has been teaching about the kingdom. He's been talking about uh, as, as you go back over the chapters, the fact that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In fact, that, that begins the ministry of Jesus. It's the first sermon out of Jesus' mouth. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent because of that. For three years now, because chapter 10 takes place at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, they're going up to Jerusalem and the crucifixion is about to occur. But this teaching about the kingdom has caught the ear of James and John. Now we could say much about their request, and, and, and there is much to say about it. But they've at least been listening. The other disciples seem to be in a complete fog about what's happening. Even when Jesus talks about going to Jerusalem to die. But you notice how that section ended. Then I'm going to come in my glory. 
Oh, James and John think, oh, you're going to come in your glory. That's when the kingdom is going to come. Hey, we have a question. Now, if you read this event as it's recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, they, don't even, they aren't even so bold as to do this themselves. They actually get their mom to do it. Okay? They, mom, you, you go and ask. You go and ask. Now, Jesus, Mark is reporting to us the fact that this isn't coming from the heart of the mother. The mother is simply the spokesperson. This is coming from the heart of James and John. We get it, Jesus. You're going to have a kingdom. Hey, when you get there, we'd like you to do something for us. We'd like to, oper- to, to occupy two thrones, one on your right and one on your left. Now, one wonders how they were going to duke it out, who got the right side and who got the left, but maybe they were simply going to go by age in that regard. We don't know, but they wanted those positions. See, at, at traditionally at various banquets that were held in this day and age, those were the places of honor. When you gave a great banquet and you invited guests, then on your right and on your left, you, you invited the, the most important people. So they want simply to be known as the most important, as the second in charge of this kingdom. This is their request. Jesus reminds them of worldly ambition, that they're not to be this way within the kingdom. How true it is that in this world in which we live, that worldly ambition of gaining position, of gaining power, of having prestige are so important. People climb all over one another in order to get those places. They'll put others down. They'll tell lies. They'll sabotage the work of others. They'll flaunt themselves brag up themselves, try to point out the faults of others without dealing with the beam that is in their own eye. All because we want to go up a notch on the ladder. We want to go up a notch. We want to go up a notch. We do it starting at birth. We demand our mother's attention. We won't let her get a good night's sleep. We won't let her get a nap. It's all about us. Meet our needs. We grow up, we we get a little sibling in our home, and then it all becomes about the competition for mom and dad's attention because this little one is taking so much of their time. We now need to act out in various ways to kind of gain their attention. And throughout school, throughout work, throughout our lives, That worldly ambition of climbing the ladder, whether it's economically, whether it's socially, whether it's in terms of power, prestige, whatever it is, it's all found here in this request of James and John, isn't it? Even in the church, this comes about. Even in the kingdom, there are those who are operating under that worldly ambition premise. How does Jesus answer 
this response. Jesus answers it with this central theme. That 45th verse. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, Jesus says a lot in this section. There's a lot that's there, but it all kind of boils down to this. So let's break this whole thing down into those various components. First of all, Jesus says, even the Son of Man. Why does he call himself that? Well, it actually begins back in the book of Daniel. If you page back to Daniel chapter 7, Daniel has a vision of this Son of Man. And listen to what Daniel records for us. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Son of man, to whom all this power and dominion and authority is given, this Son of Man that we read in Revelation chapter 1 as our call to worship, that John sees. One like the Son of Man. This is who Jesus is identifying himself as. I am the Son of Man. I am the representative of the human race. I am the human being. There is no greater human being being that ever was or ever shall be than I. I am greater than Nebuchadnezzar. I am greater than the pharaohs. I am greater for whatever political person you can put in, whatever king, whatever dictator. I am greater than. Even the son of man. Even the one who has a kingdom and glory. Even the one who has a dominion that is everlasting. You see, none of those others have an everlasting dominion. Nero's dominion isn't everlasting. Julius Caesar's dominion was not everlasting. Alexander the Great's dominion wasn't everlasting. David's dominion wasn't. Solomon's wasn't. Hitler's wasn't. No other son of man. No other human can claim that which Jesus can claim. A kingdom that shall not be destroyed. You ever see the pictures of Germany after World War II? Ever see the pictures of Hiroshima? After the God Emperor Empire is destroyed. But the Son of Man, a 
is a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. For even the Son of Man, the glorious, almighty, sovereign Son of Man, Christ, even the Son of Man, what? Came not to be served. Not to have others wait upon him. Not to order others around. Not to have his needs met. Not even asking for them. Do you remember, even as he hangs upon the cross, the request of Jesus is not, could somebody get me some water? Could somebody Get me something to drink. There is but the simple statement. I thirst. It is others who go and say, oh, let's go get him something. But he's not asking. Even the Son of Man. Even the human being, par excellence. Even the one who stops, who stands at the top of the ladder. Who is more perfect than Christ? Who is more wealthy than Christ? Who has more power than Christ? Who has more prestige than Christ? Stands at the top of the ladder. King. Even the Son of Man. Came not to be served, but to serve. That word that's used here, to serve, means to do the most common, the most ordinary, the most menial of tasks. few hours before his execution, the disciples still are trying to figure out how high on the ladder they can go. And Jesus climbs down off the ladder and gets down on his knees, takes a bowl and a towel. And he washes their feet. The most 
meaning of task. Think who this is that is on his knees washing feet. The Son of Man. The most perfect being in this universe. Hey, we'd like to sit on your right and your left. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. But that's not even the fullness of his servanthood, is it? Because Jesus goes on. He doesn't say, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. I'll give you an example of that, guys. In a few days, I'll wash your feet. Now, what does Jesus hold before them as the example of his servanthood? And to give his life. Not just a few moments of time, however it took to wash 12 disciples' feet. 12 disciples who he knows one is going to betray him. One is going to deny him. And 10 are going to desert him. He doesn't say... You know, you guys aren't quite good enough. I'm sorry, but, you know, it's one thing to wash the feet of, of perhaps somebody important, but to wash you guys' feet? No way. No way. You guys aren't even going to stick with me the next 12 hours. Not going to happen. But even that, even that, isn't it? To give his life. He is going to voluntarily lay down his life. This one who is the son of man is going to take his life and say, here, Here's my life. Not just a few hours. My life. My entire being. The whole of who I am. I give. I'm willing to die. I'm going to die. The Son of Man will die. That's what he said to them along the road. That's why they're hanging back. They're going... I don't know if we like this. Come on, guys. Come along. Come on. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to give my life. I'm going to die. I'm going to substitute myself. Because notice what he said. I'm going to give my life. As a ransom, as a payment, as a payment 
for a slave. I'm going to give my life for those who are enslaved to sin. In exchange for that which you deserve, I will voluntarily take upon myself. First Peter. That's why, you know, we'll probably be referencing Peter often in this because of that tie-in. But in the book of First Peter, chapter 1, Listen to Peter in verses 18 and 19. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Ransomed. A price of damnation, of the wrath of God, of death, paid. Not just for some deniers, but for sinners like you, like I. For those who have committed the most despicable and heinous of sins. I give my life as a ransom for a Saul. Who's going to go around executing my followers. I give my life as a ransom. I give my life as a ransom. For the John Newtons who will enslave other human beings and take them and have them sold and laugh in my face who would scorn the Sabbath, who would curse every other word, I give my life as a ransom. I give my life as a ransom. For those corrupt, evil, human beings who would take the innocence and vulnerability of young children for their own pleasure. I give my life as a ransom for many. Two notes. Not all. Not all. I don't give my life as a ransom for everyone. I give my life as a ransom for many, Jesus said. But he also didn't say for few. The book of Revelation in a few chapters is going to remind us of a multitude that no man can number standing around that throne. Oh, there's people, you see, that, that, that we think have done such horrible things. They could never be around that throne. And Jesus said, oh, yes, they will be. I died for the many. I 
die for the money? Will all? No. Only those that God grants that glorious gift of saving faith. That glorious gift of grace, of repentance, of turning, of embracing and confessing Christ and of seeking to live spirit-filled, holy life. Oh, the depth of the many. How far that will reach. Because it reached you. It reached me. We who were enemies of God have been brought near through the ransom paid by Jesus Christ. Here is its central theme. Here is what the book seeks to disclose. Here is what the author is seeking to place before you. Let me give you another example. And here's another, and here's another, here's another, here's another. A book filled with the good news of what? The Son of Man came to give his life as the ransom for many. And I ask you, my friends, what's the implication? What is Jesus saying? What is Jesus teaching? He's teaching not only this glorious truth of his life, but if he is the head, then what should his body be doing? Should his body not also be doing that which he has done? Is it not Jesus who has told us that none of his followers shall be greater than their master? None of, their, of his followers are on a higher rung than he. None of his followers have the right to say, yeah, Jesus did that, but I don't need to. Jesus gave his life as a ransom. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. But I'm James, I'm John, I'm Peter, I'm Bob, I deserve to be served. No one of my followers is greater than I. Nor are you. Nor are you. See, the point that Jesus is making to James and John and to his disciples is, guys, you've got to rethink this. Look at me. It's not how far up the ladder you can go. It's how far down the ladder you can go and still reach those who need to be lifted up. Oh, and the opportunities. Oh, the opportunities are everywhere. Let's start with our homes. I'm the king of this castle. Well, what does the king of the castle do? Well, let's put it in our parlance. You get down on your knees and you wash a floor. 
You get down on your knees and you clean a toilet. That's Jesus. He's the king of the castle, a castle of a universe. And what does the king of that castle do? Down on his knees, wash his feet. In our homes, at our places of work. You know, there's some people that when you think about it, you, you, the owners of companies, you know, big CEOs, you can't see them cleaning the employee's toilet, can you? <laughs> it just isn't going to happen. They're way too arrogant. They're way too big. They got people to do that for them. But Jesus didn't have people to do it for him. He did it himself. In our schools, janitor's job to pick that up. Janitor's job to clean that spill. Guy gets paid for something, I might as well throw my trash out. Can you really imagine Jesus doing that? Really? After this verse? How about in our community? Is Little Farms known as the servant church? that the message we convey to the world, to our community? We're here to serve. An opportunity like Florence comes up. How do we respond? We give? We go? Do we pray? Do we care? about here at church? Do you serve? Well, not in these official capacities. Do you serve? Like Christ. We're going to have coffee in the gym. You know what that means, right? You know what that means. It happens all the time. Probably happens once a week, if not more. What happens? Coffee spills. Are you a rag runner? Or are you the observer? Somebody else should be able to do that. The crumbs that inevitably will be on the gym floor, do you pick them up? Or do you step on them and make matters worse? For weeks, we've been looking for people to work in the nursery. And it's nice we ask young girls, but it would seem to me that our thought would be we'd really want the young girls to be in church. And perhaps if I'm older, 
I could expend one Sunday service every three months to take care of little children because that's what Jesus did. He brought them to his knee. But it's too important, you see, that I sit in the same seat. I can't serve. I suppose Jesus could have said, look, guys, I got a cross in front of me. I'm not doing feet today. I've got bigger things to do. And he takes out the towel. Look around. How can you serve? What needs to be done? Not because you have an official capacity or title to do it, just because it needs. For even, you see, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Father, we pray that as we go through, as you give us opportunity to study this gospel that you have given to us in your living, breathing word, Father, that we too might be transformed by this gospel through the power of your word, through the power of your spirit, to be that which Christ calls us to be. Not greater than him, but imitating. To give up some of our time. To give up some of our TV watching. To give up some of our activities. To serve the one who is our Savior. For in that we have not done it to the least of these. We have not done it unto him. In Christ's name, God's people say, amen.